Welcome back to another episode of the B2B 0 to 10 podcast, a podcast where we focus on helping B2B businesses grow from 0 to 10 million. This podcast is the intersection of stories, strategies, trends, and even a little inspiration, all focused on the 0 to 10 growth journey. If you run a business thinking about starting a business, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your guide, Brett Trainer. On this episode, I welcome Gareth Chandler to the podcast. He's the founder and CEO of the Evolve Group, which is a cutting-edge global insight tech firm that specializes in working with consumers and organizations to better understand their behavior, markets, and transformation. Gareth shares his zero to ten story with us, including his huge pivot from consulting business to a tech-enabled services business. I thought that was absolutely fascinating, and what it takes to grow in today's digital-first world of B two B. Along the way, we also talk about what worked for him, what didn't, and what he would do differently. This is really a fascinating conversation, and he is just getting started. I think you're really going to enjoy this. As a favor, if you have not already done so, please do subscribe, like, or follow on your favorite podcast platform. Now, let's get the interview started. Hey, Gareth, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you going, Brett? Nice to talk to you. Uh, this is great. It's been a little bit getting rescheduled because of my schedule, so I really appreciate your flexibility, and I'm really looking forward to this this conversation. So uh, maybe to get us started, share with the audience a little bit about what your background is and what you're working on today, and then we can uh, we can dive in. Yeah, certainly. So I'm the CEO of the Evolve Group. We're an Australian uh, technology company that also has a consulting arm. So we operate within the global market research industry, but we prefer to think of ourselves as a human insights company. For me, I founded the company in 2010. And at that stage, we were a, a consulting company, so fairly garden variety market research uh, consultancy. And over the last decade, we've, we've sort of migrated from being um, that type of company to, to more and more a technology company providing products from the cloud, SaaS products, and, and sort of transforming into, into a much more sort of global and technology-driven business. Yeah, and we're definitely going to dive into that because I'm super fascinated of how, how you were able to make that pivot, and maybe not pivot, but the evolution. But, you know, maybe going back, this has been about a decade when you formed the company. What were you doing before you started the company and what did you see and what was the the reason you started Evolve Group? Was it even Evolve Group when you, you started the company? Yeah, it was actually it was actually Evolve Research at that stage because we didn't at that we hadn't kind of got the technology in the company. And it's an interesting question because I would I would be lying if I said I had this grand design to start my own company and, and do my own thing and everything else. In fact, I think from conversations I've had with other people, it's probably not an uncommon story where it just happened that way. And um, I've been working and my career started at I'd always been a researcher, um, started off in a contact center doing market research interviews, which is a, a wonderful way to, to learn the craft because you've got to literally ring people up and persuade them to spend 15 minutes asking, uh, answering questions. And, you know, you can learn how to deliver them, you learn how to persuade people, you learn how to um, interpret their responses and opportunities arose from there to get, get involved in the industry, you know, doing programming surveys and then working with clients as a consultant. Uh, I spent a number of years at AC Nielsen um, in Australia before working in Hong Kong for several years. Um, and at that point, I so working with big global brands on, on global research projects. And it was when I came back to Australia and I spent some time working at Telstra 
uh, which is a big telecommunications company here. And actually, there's a, you know, a couple of visits to Hong Kong, two blocks of two years. And I realized that coming back the second time uh, to the country that I was, I wanted a bit more independence, a bit more freedom, a bit more opportunity to, at that stage, probably uh, be work-life balance and, and do what I wanted to do. And I, I had a partnership with with a person that um, lasted a couple of years and you know, we decided we wanted to go separate ways. We had different different objectives. Um, so at that point, I set up Evolve Research and had some clients to start off with and and sort of things progressed from there. So at that stage, it was very much just not a, so much a conscious choice, I think, but just a lifestyle choice and about my independence and, and wanting to uh, try doing my own thing. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's an absolutely common tale because I think part of it we think about it's, well, we're just going to do it to make lots of money. But then you think about what do you need to do with the money? It's the independence. It's right. The freedom and the flexibility to run. You may not agree. You have a lot more flexibility or time because of the, the way the business is growing. But, you know, I think that's what the right. The, the dream for a lot of us is, is to take back our take back our time and right try to at least control your own destiny. So, um, exactly. Yeah. So first customer, you just said, hey, we're going to do market research. We're starting. I have some relationships from some folks and was it just kind of a hustle your way to a few clients and it started to build from there? Kind of. So I was, again, in the business that, that I had previously um, coming back to Australia, uh, my business partner at that stage, Virginia, had some clients. So we had a bit of a head start there and okay. um, I think we were sort of fairly su- successful over a couple of years. So when we had separate ways, excuse me, we agreed to you know split the clientele. So that was a you know great way to start my own business with a with a number of my own clients. And that was, you know, an amicable process, I think, and, and worked quite well. But from there, it was, yeah, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have any marketing. We didn't have any sales. Everything happened through word of mouth and, and basically doing a good job. And I'm, I still really strongly believe that, you know, any business, it always boils down to, you know, how well you perform and deliver your services and creating value for your clients is, is what drives positive word of mouth and, you know, without even investing in sales and marketing. And it was a very different landscape back in 2010 where, you know, LinkedIn was not really what it was today and the digital channels to, to you know, advertise and grow your business were not not the same as now. It was very much around networking, um, who you knew within the business, um, being able to trade case studies, and that was effective for us. You know, in the first part of the growth stages of the business. Yeah, that which makes sense. And even if I think back to the market research, I still think most companies do a terrible job with this today. So even thinking about you know ten years ago, you know, who were some of the customers that you were targeting? Was it the big Fortune five hundred or the big companies that were leveraging? this type of insight or who was your kind of your, your core back then? Yeah. So from a, um, an Australian perspective, yeah, it's equivalent of that. So ASX, you know, 200, where you're talking about big companies like Telstra, okay. um, back then it was a, a superannuation fund called health super Coles is one of our foundation's clients, which is a big grocery company here and is still a client, which is, which is great. So yeah, big, big companies that were, were looking for an independent research agency that was able to, you know, move quickly to really understand their business and get that sort of one individual who really worked all the way through with things. Um, and very, you know, we've been able to maintain a lot of that type of, I think, focus with our clients these days, uh, despite being a lot, lot bigger, you know, being up to 85 people, but that's still that core model of what I'd call customer intimacy is what the client was really buying into and an understanding of, you know, they can come to us with a problem and, and we can apply research discipline to solve it rather than just a sort of a sausage machine type mentality of spinning out the data and numbers that don't really help them answer that business problem, although it might maybe shed some light on, you know, the reasons why the, the problem exists in the first place, not necessarily the answer. 
Yeah, no, it makes sense. And so the early days, was it a lot of contract, like month over month or statement of work? Or did you have like, were you doing repeating? I'm just trying to get a sense of, was it yeah. steady flow of business at the, in the early days or was it? Uh, I think, yeah, one of the things that I've learned in the journey, Brett, is that it is so much easier to run a successful business when you've got recurrent revenue. And in the early days, it was not recurrent. We had some, in research, there's, a, there's probably two types of projects. There's ad hoc and tracking. And your ad hoc project is client comes to you and says, hey, you know, we, we've got a business problem in the way that I described it before. Uh, what can you tell us about, you know, using research, qualitative or quantitative, come back to us with an answer to that problem and a set of recommendations on how to solve it. So those projects are commissioned, uh, you get paid for it, you do the study, you deliver the outcomes, and then you wait for the next one to come along. So that's non-recurrent revenue. On the other hand, you might have a client come to say, uh, we want to track uh, you know, what people think about product um, or we want to tell you what's happening in market and that generates continuous recurrent billing revenue. So when we started the company, I would suggest probably 70% of the revenue was non-recurrent and maybe 30% was recurrent. We had a couple of really good uh, client opportunities at the outset that were recurrent that generated cash flow and allowed us to, you know, invest in the business, get people, salaries, employees that we had confidence would be able to maintain that position. So that 30% was disproportionately important. On the other hand, the uh, ad hoc research allows you to get that intimacy with a client because they're constantly asking you to answer questions about their business that, that help you, you know, maintain your relevance and, and sort of knowledge base. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of the two things you said, cash flow and reoccurring revenue. So if you can get those two... <laughs> In a bunch of, I, say, I think we're moving towards more and more even B2B businesses looking at reoccurring. Even if you're not a software business, there's ways you can structure deals, right? And projects to just do it on a monthly basis with the set. If you get really good at understanding your business, there's no reason why you couldn't look at it as you know, a, a reoccurring contract versus ad hoc, right? Necessary evil, but much harder to, to kind of bunt or uh, manage a business, right? That way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think, I mean, again, that's something that I've seen all the way through. We work with a lot of small businesses as well. And I think there's a certain stage right you're at where, you know, you, you can only do a limited number of things at the same time, whether it's yourself or a small group of people. And if you're doing projects, you can't sell and market yourself. Uh, you can't, um, you know, be calling your clients and, and maintaining that, that those relationships very effectively. So, you know, living hand to mouth, so to speak, from one project to the next can become quite a, a difficult thing. And in some ways, I think contradicts the reason, as I outlined before, a lot of people go into business for themselves because they end up not really achieving that that type of freedom because you're constantly worrying about your ready next gig is. I fundamentally agree that the opportunity to create subscription services for B2B organizations is, is really important. Um, and I think a lot of clients are looking for that because, you know, then they get to develop that type of relationship and have certainty about, you know, having services on call for expertise that might not be part of what they're trying to do as a core business. Yeah. And bundle it and, and, prepare and budget for it, not bundle it, budget, budget, right? So if you know, exactly. it's 15K yeah. a month on re, you know, research and product, you know, what you, and, and what you're going to get. So big fan. All right. So now you've, you got some momentum, you've got some big customers. When almost every every either founder, business owner I, I talk to, they they hit that inflection point, right? Where you're doing really well with the one-to-one -one sales, you're growing one-to-one, -one, but you're probably part of most of the deals. When did you guys get to the point where you were starting to look at one to many, right? So now you're starting to scale and you have to bring additional resources in. How how far into the 
journey when that started to happen? Well, I remember when we got our first um, employee, then our second or third employee. So it was always a big challenge at the outset for me to not be the business. And I always had a desire to create something that, you know, when I'm done and dusted here and move on and do something else, that it will outlast me. And that sort of philosophy has guided me all the way through. It's sometimes very difficult to do that. And I'm primarily talking about the consulting part of the business at the moment because people are buying you. And, you know, to be able to create and codify a business where they can buy others and they still get that bit of you because you've defined the ingredients of what makes your business successful is really important. For us specifically, as we went on that journey from consulting company to technology company, my business partner, Shane, came in very early. I think it might have been, if not year one, um, year two. And he and I are very close and he's been a wonderful collaborator over the journey. He's a developer. Okay. So I'm a researcher, he's a developer. So over the years, our skills have sort of coalesced. But um, it certainly was the case that, um, you know, we probably, as we started to do more technology stuff, we were building dashboards and, you know, building solutions to get surveys and building bespoke technology um, applications for our clients. And it took us probably three or four years to realize that, you know, you could make good money out of that and again, more recurring revenue, but at the same time, starting to accrue significant technical debt where we had to service and maintain all of those sort of one-off, you know, very nice looking and functional applications, but each of which was unique. So we were getting the customers on board and we were getting the recurrent revenue and we were building those sort of two parallel businesses at the same time. And we actually crafted a separate business at that stage called Twisted Line, which we co-owned to do that. But um, it was probably an inflection point around 2015, 16, where we we understood the whole point of multi-tenancy from a technology perspective. And instead of starting to simply build applications for each individual client, started investing in a core platform that could uh, service the needs of all of our clients. So, you know, build once, use many times. And that was, you know, beneficial for us, beneficial for our clients. And again, has been a big part of our continuing journey since then. That's awesome. Did you just had a, you know, Ray McKenzie on the podcast just last week, two weeks ago, I guess he came on and he, uh, he was running a successful consulting business and was struggling with a software app problem to manage his business and he couldn't find it, you know, off the shelf or any author. So he created it internally to help him manage it. Then realized a lot of these services businesses had the same workflow problems that he was having. So now he's transitioning, or not transitioning, adding a SaaS component to his consulting. And it just kind of started out of a internal need that became, geez, this is a much bigger problem than we thought. And now it's going to be a, a core part of his business. Was that kind of what the path that you guys started with the tech or how did that start? Yeah, kind of. I think I think that story is a very, very common story and is, is in fact part of the thread about things that have changed over the last 12 years where services organizations are able to define problems and then use them to create solutions and sell them. Um, and I think a lot of the, the landscape changed from just being um, startups who say, you've got an idea, get venture capital, build application, you know, succeed or fail to being companies like ours and the one you've just described that have been around for a while. Um, so their service organization, find an idea, self-fund or, um, you know, get bank of mum and dad or something, create the <laughs> technology and then grow from there. So that's more of a scale up. Um, for us, probably the difference between what you've just described and that is that we weren't defining the solution for ourselves and then 
finding a market for it, but which is analog to us as an organization, if I understand what you're saying correctly. It was more uh, we were developing solutions for a market where we saw an, a gap existed okay. uh, that that you know existing solutions didn't provide for and that we felt could be catered for within our sort of core competencies that was, a, you know, we really know market research. We know how to build applications that are fit for purpose of that. And we've got a development arm that can take those ideas and bring them to life in the form of, of, of products and services that our clients can use. Oh, that's awesome. No, I love, I am a huge fan of the service or tech enabled service businesses, right? Just because, I mean, all the technology that's coming out and the ability to replicate and copy certain technologies. So unless you have some services or some other component around it, it's going to be hard to be sticky. And plus you've seen the in the sales and marketing technology stacks, the what, 12,000 different solutions that are in there trying to break through that yeah. noise. So um, yeah, it's unique. I haven't talked to too many folks that kind of saw, I don't know, the writing on the wall that you saw the technology play was coming. Was that an internal debate to say, hey, do we want to go down this path? Because I know many more service companies that just stuck to the service versus thinking, how do we solve the the broader problem where you just see the opportunity in that space i think i think having shane as a business partner who understood the technology was fairly critical for the ability to do it but i also think it's a mindset and um one of the one of the things we often talk about our organization is you know we have confidence that you know, we know how to do 80 90 percent of what a client asks for and we have the ability to complete the last 10 or 20 percent and that last 10 or 20% is what has helped us develop our innovation and technology over the last, you know, six or seven years since we particularly started multi-tenanting and started to build out uh, a platform as opposed to build out, you know, individual solutions. But right. the underlying enabler for that, I think, Brett, is, is a, is a, has always been a belief in our ability to back ourselves to solve problems without necessarily having the, the capabilities in-house or the, the know how to answer the problem initially, but we're very good at that last 10 and 20%. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's a huge differentiator for you. And so, so it's really, yeah. And the other interesting thing too, I think is having that right partner, whether it's a co-founder or the team that has a complementary skill sets, right? Because, right. So most of the time we think it's either the visionary and the integrator, the execution, the ops piece. But I think in our new world, right, with everything being digital and both of us playing in the B2B space, Right. It's 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 going to have to take a different mindset to, you know, reach new customers and, and just think about these differences or businesses differently. At least that's what I'm, I'm I'm seeing and believing that there's, like I said, a great opportunity for companies to attack this 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 kind of problem. Yeah, I think so. And I think the reason for that is because going back to um, my comment before about you know scale ups and services companies becoming technology companies, their point of difference is they know the market. So you know sometimes people go out and they'll start something and they're bidding their house on you know an idea. But oftentimes I've seen that organisations that go down this route, it's, it is about knowing the customer and really being able to take that knowledge and 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 build it something that that solves a problem. And instead of doing it with one customer, you know obviously magnifying and you know leveraging that across a very large customer base. I think you know, a lot of people who've tried that probably go through the same challenge that we have, which is re-engineering a company 
and becoming a product company is not a not a trivial thing. It's very challenging, and it's not just about you know building the application. It's about how you support it. It's about how you sell it, how you market it, and that's actually probably the more challenging bit rather than the idea and actually creating the thing itself, depending on what it is you're building. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree. It's it's night and day, and right, different skill sets, different people, the the technology requirements, and now you have. Today, you've got 50 plus, 60 plus employees. How many folks do you have on the team now? A little over 80, actually. 80. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, to be fair, our goal has not necessarily been to grow headcount. But again, we've kind of obviously had to do that as, we, as we've grown our revenue line and expanded our client base. Um, and, you know, from here, as we start to move towards more of a technology model and away from a consulting model, when I say away, I don't mean reduce, but rather, you know, that part of the business will continue to grow. But our hope is that we continue to exponentially grow our technology part of the business. There's a, it becomes, I think, a bit of a disconnection between uh, salary costs, which is a huge part of running a business like ours um, and, you know, continues to grow oftentimes in parallel with your revenue line to saying, okay, we've escaped that now. And, you know, we're starting to get you know, low marginal cost recurrent revenue from our technology, but with a relatively stable employee base. But again, investing in new types of roles like customer care and technical services and other parts of the business now, which again, operate on a many to one model rather than consulting, which is, you know, lock and step in terms of getting your clients and people to service them, which again, highlighting is a really important part of a business and something I cherish, but having both of those things parallel changes the revenue mix quite considerably. Yeah. And it is more scalable, right? I mean, to your point consulting is you need people to consult, right? So the more business yeah. you can scale it a little bit, but at some point you just, it's just a body for, for revenue. So now I'm, I love, I love what you're doing. And so maybe explain a little bit what, if you're doing the market research, what you guys are doing today. So at the core of it, the companies you were working with are still the, the enterprise. Are you across mid-market now and who, who are you servicing? It's still mainly uh, corporate enterprise. So we do have a number of, you know, sort of mid-market customers. We've been expanding into the US. So we've got a team of, of a half a dozen people there now, and we've got some some awesome US clients. Uh, got a couple of clients now in the in the UK and also in New Zealand. So we're starting to expand our geographic footprint. Um, the core business now, our platform is called Evolved Human Listening, and it's a, a full enterprise-grade platform for, for collecting information, processing it, um, distilling the insights and sharing that within the organization. But it's got a, it's some pretty cool tricks in it, one of which is conversational AI, which is at the core of that technology, allows you to replace or augment surveys with, with conversations and use text analytics to generate you know, dynamic insights that are constantly learning and updating with deep learning. Um, and on top of that, the sort of architecture of the platform is, is hierarchical and networked. So it's very well designed to bring organizations together and, and people within organizations around insights and, and help them collaborate within their job and, and use market insights and customer insights as part of how they themselves uh, work within the organization. Yeah, it's so important. I still argue, at least here in the States, it's an underutilized tool, right? I mean, some companies do it very well, but, you know, I, it was only a few years ago, just trying to find somebody to help you with just simple market research wasn't, you know, there wasn't a ton of company. You'd have to go super big, right? The Nielsen's and try to get, but that just isn't, wasn't relevant for, for the number of businesses. So, I think people are finally starting to see the value of, of this type of insight and why wouldn't you want it, right? Maybe it wasn't affordable to all the businesses before, but you know, just looking at what you guys are doing and technology, 
pretty soon you'll be able to bring that to small admin market, right? Definitely. I mean, what we've seen as well, Brett, is that there's a there's some you know we're fighting against some really big big players. We're talking billion dollar companies, and to compete against that, you've got to have a great certainty about what it is that you're you're doing, what value you create, and which part of the market you're you're servicing. And one of the the things that I've noticed within our industry is that a lot of those big players are commodifying insights so they're templating everything they're shortening the cycle of generating it by saying grab the template run your survey bring it back in house and do that all you know without any actual invent any change to that which is you know it's a good model we can do that as well but uh i still believe fundamentally that the ability to uh have our clients be able to innovate and our partners as channel partners other research agencies be able to create their own innovation is hugely important so going back to that mid-market yeah they're really important to us and both in terms of intermediaries like research agencies but also uh, those smaller companies who you know might not be able to afford the big platforms or they want to do things a little bit differently because they themselves have to innovate that's really what we're catering for you know the company that's looking for something a bit smarter uh something that you know they see as being allows them to differentiate rather than following the herd with a you know a solution that you know being backed by thousands of salespeople and it plops you in an environment where you've got a limited set of choices about how you operate and you just end up being the same as everybody else right and the key and it's, i always say it's it's better to be different than better, right? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> sorry, you go. No, I, was, yeah, I say differentiation, right? Different. Everybody says they're better than everybody else, but if you're different, that's when you got a true story to tell. I totally agree. Different, different is hugely important, and we, we you know, we often this. It's one of those frameworks that I think really uh, stood the test of time, which is you know, cost quality time and you can apply that in a number of different ways you can apply it in terms of you know how you deliver what you deliver but you can also look at it in terms of differentiation and you know so we can deliver a better value for a client um you know with different qualities in terms of how the, the product works and and do it in a way where you know we can deliver it with self-service that that hits the time element as well so i kind of feel like knowing how you trade and what you're actually delivering for the client is really important now like all companies we don't always get that right but you know methodologies like having buyer personas and really understanding you know having an analog for a particular organization and be able to have the right conversation to to know where you're playing within that sort of spectrum of ways of enunciating the value of what you do is really important yeah 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 and being able to tell it offline and online right i think that's one of the bigger changes i'm seeing is you know you're just a simple website and that's websites aren't simple but you know it's a 24 by 7 billboard and if you can't effectively tell the story yeah when nobody's around you're gonna have a hard time you're reaching like i said if you have to use salespeople to drive the business versus having you know what you're doing with the inbound to convert which is a good little segue back to i'm curious when you started selling the the technology did you have a clear plan on who in the industry and the market that you were going to go after was this just into existing clients because i know a lot of companies when they start to make that transition you know, chase all the shiny objects. <laughs> this will work for anybody, anywhere, and that that hardly ever works because you can never really get the the good traction. Were you guys pretty disciplined or focused on a certain segment? Um, kind of. I mean, I, I'm a massive, massive fan of the idea of the competency based view of the business, and that kind of inverts that line of thinking about you know having a really fixed and and sort of laser like focus on knowing who your target audience is to having a very clear understanding of what you're good at and what you can do and uh, therefore what are the array of 
addressable markets and adjacencies for what you do. So over the 10 years that we've operated, yeah, we've, we've morphed and changed and, and sort of and kept pace with what the market's asking for. But we know what we do really well. We know the technology. We know what we don't do. And therefore, when an opportunity comes up, we're quite able to assess it as to whether it's a viable thing for us to do that won't fracture our focus on, you know, what we need to do. Because you can't do everything. You've got to make choices around that. But at the same time, not miss out on opportunities that present themselves because you've been too sort of constrained in your ability to deliver something without having that level of diffusion of focus. I think that in terms of markets, it hasn't changed a lot throughout that, although as we've developed different solutions, for example, one of our products is employee listening, and that that is a manifestation of conversational AI in the workplace where we've got a workplace companion, people talk to it and it surfaces inside over a survey, which has a lot of benefits compared to that. And that's a whole new market for us. So instead of dealing with insights buyers or someone working with HR people, um, and that's been going on for the last three years and building that business. And that, you know, that requires a, a, a different type of conversation and a, an understanding that their challenges are very different to the sorts of challenges you'll see with an insights buyer or a marketing person. But at the same time, our capabilities to address that audience are there. Uh, you know, we, we understand the technology, the underlying fit of the technology with what organisations are looking for with deeper and more meaningful relationships with employees we fulfil. So uh, a, a good good example of one of a number of different sort of little pivots and shifts we've done along the way to maintain our relevance and grow our, our business into different areas. Yeah, no, and I think that's, I mean, that's a whole other podcast up to getting into the employee engagement, employee listening and right, the, the pandemic's thrown us into a remote workforce or distributed workforce, whatever you want to call it, that's probably not coming back. You may find a few mm. diehards that will go back to the office and just that with that no longer the physical contact or the ability to face face with folks, that employee listening is going to be critical to understand, right, how engaged they are with your business. And um, that's got to be a growing part of the business. Are you seeing companies recognizing the need for this or is it still kind of its infancy as didn't ask that very well but i think you know where i'm going <laughs> yeah no totally look it, it is a growing part of the business Brett. we've we've um you know it's been uh, the analogy i often use with this is like a horse race so you, you're putting your horses in the race but you know one might jump ahead and then you know the stayers at the back there and then it comes forward and i think again the position we're in i think it's it's a truism for you know, if you look at it, this is again as an analogy. If you look at a venture capital company, it's it's placing bets across different organisations, and oftentimes they'll say, "We want you to just grow exponentially, put everything into your sales." And you know, actually, they don't really care whether you succeed or or fail, as long as they have one unicorn, a portfolio of fifty bets where they might be putting money. Now we can't do that because right. I've got employees, I've got clients, I have no interest in doing an all or nothing type of bet. We've got to grow profitably. And to do that again, but you're following a similar sort of process with where products you're placing bets on different things and they're the horses and they're going ahead. So employee listening, yeah, it's had a, a great start. We've got um, a dozen clients on board. Uh, the product's been proven its efficacy in market. It's one of a number of different solutions that we've got in place uh, that are sort of growing at different rates and that we're having to a little bit sort of adjust our focus on depending on what the market's telling us. But uh, that, that one's been been really good for us. And again, I think it's such a huge market, but it's also one where understanding the buying cycle is really important because it's different to, you know, going back to the start of our conversation where you might have an insights customer that's having a, you know, a whole lot of one-off transactional projects and then you've run your trackers and stuff. They're different in HR. You're looking for a solution for their employee base. They're, um, 
they're very uh, careful about what they buy because, you know, they need to have something that's going to work in the longer term. They can't chop and change between different vendors on that. So for us, it's been, it's been a big learning experience about how to be able to uh, align to that and create a product where they feel comfortable bringing it in because it is quite different. Um, the success for us has been proving that that difference is actually better as well. Back to your point about being different and better. Yeah, no, and uh, I, I love it. I think this is like a poster child or a roadmap for companies to think about how to to grow a b2b company now and in in the future and probably should have started a few years ago but kind of curious since you've been doing this now for a decade in the last call it two years with maybe some of the digital adoption by the buyers in the b2b space you know what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen with with some of your go-to-market in you know caught the recent past yeah, I think for us, if you're talking specifically about us rather than the the industry or you know the whole sort of business environment at large, it's very much been about the process and moving from from a company with twenty people where it's about coordination of individuals. and you know it's very easy to coordinate individuals when you've got twenty people to going to eighty people and you start to divisionalize. and yeah. go to market process in that context is creating, um procedures and a set of steps across those groups where you're coordinating not individuals but um into discrete individual work processes like design product create product test product market product um run campaign service product is, is a lateralization of a process that was previously vertical because a limited number of people are doing all those steps now we've got a lot of people doing each bit of that steps and we're gluing them together and that's again for us being part of the challenge that i'm sure a lot of organizations go through and you know you have your, your one step back days and your two step forward days where you learn from experience and yep. talk to other people about what that has worked for them and what hasn't but it's a, it's a it's a challenge no you're right and it's it's universal challenge and yeah, I think that's where maybe a good segue for the last questions I have for you is, right, I think I'm so bullish on the opportunity for people starting B2B businesses now, just because if you're smaller and a little bit more nimble, there's a lot more flexibility with the way you can, you know, basically scale a, a 10, eight to 10 figure company because of some of the things you can do with automation. You can't replace, right, the human touch in certain areas, but, you know, I've been in the industry for 30 years in the old days was just more manpower, right? We want to scale, we need more people. And now I think the technology allows us to build, if you have the right processes, uh, you know, much more efficient and organized, but a lot more cost efficient or cost effective orgs, right? Competing against some of these large companies that are going to have a harder time pivoting, right? And with their go-to-market and their, their cost, right? So, just kind of curious, you've uncovered kind of the employee engagement. If you were looking or, or talking to young founders thinking about starting a business, what are some of the areas that you think are ripe with opportunity? Yeah, a really good question. And I might answer that again. And you, you talked before, Brett, about sort of that mid-market versus enterprise, that one thing that I think is challenging for B2B people coming into the industry is the level of compliance that larger organizations are now requiring from suppliers. And it's very difficult to meet those requirements when you're a small player. Now, that could be around, you know, ISO. It could be around corporate sustainable and growth objectives that your client has that they require you to tick a lot of boxes to um, deliver that. What we find is that, you know, when you get to a certain scale, you can deliver that you create the, the resources to be able to make the transactional cost of going for these big competitive tenders viable. But 
I think that mid-market for me is really critical because you don't have that type of overhead with working with dedicated procurement people. You can focus on the solution and use the technology that's available now to spin up new innovation to hack new ideas into something that's viable and which, you know, it's kind of self-fulfilling in a way because those mid-market sort of companies are the ones that are driving themselves a lot of innovation. So they tend to be less risk averse when it comes to buying services from B2B companies. So it's a very important area for new founders to play in, I think, is to know, you know, what the company is trying to achieve and, you know, what their acquisition policies are and therefore what the cost of acquisition is and be able to avoid that situation where you're in a very competitive context with a very high uh, cost of you know going to a tender type situation to me is, is just really important to understand yeah i think that that's great advice i'm a huge fan of the mid-market too because i've sold into the smb sold into enterprise each have their own challenges if you get really good with a smaller price point you can sell into the smbs but you know then you're dealing with a different level of complexity because the owner is usually the buyer and then trying they're the doer all at the same time it's harder in the smbs but you know, right, the mid-market, they've got money, right? They've got real problems. <laughs> and a lot yeah, of big yeah. players don't want to go in there and the smaller ones don't think they're big enough or don't see the opportunity. So no, I think that, that that's really good advice. So and I think also just one other thing underneath that is I think it's always important to keep focusing on what's the benefit for the client. And you can reduce that down to a very limited number of things, which is save them time, make them more profitable or enable the way that they sell things to their end clients. And I think if you always focus what you're doing back to those and, and create a direct line of sight between we do this and it leads to one of the outcomes, you can't really go wrong as long as you've got a good idea and you're executing on it well. I think oftentimes there's a bit of a trap as well about sort of getting lost in your own world about your own product. And we've made that mistake in the past, but you've always got to relate it back to those fundamental end benefits for the client. And then there's a world of ideas and possibilities around you know solving problems that lead to those outcomes. Yeah, no, so true. Yeah, that's what I'm, the big thing I am is like, what is the problem you're solving? Go solve a problem. If there's not, if it, and then you can look at, is it a need to solve problem or is it a must solve problem? And you're better off finding the must solve problems and designing is if you always start there, you may pivot and you may alter the kind of like what you've done with from the consulting to the technology to solve that problem. You're just approaching it differently as it's evolved and the client needs have evolved. So no, it makes sense. So, all right, I promise you one last two questions. I'm asking my final question in a minute, but you know, what's what's next for you? You mentioned you're expanding into there, yeah, you're into the US. So in the next, you know, 18 months, what's what's the focus for you guys? Definitely scaling up and 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 bringing um, you know more diverse and, and larger customer base on board. And uh, for us, that means you know going uh, building out a, a sort of an autonomous structure in the US where we've got the right people on board and the right disciplines, and that they're able to be able to grow sustainably. Uh, to get our message to market, to build our brand in a way where people know us for what we do and where, as we talked about before, we can differentiate. So you know, that's it's easy for me to say, but it's a lot of work to, to get that done. But I think we made a great start and um, we've, got, we've got the right people on board the journey in the States to be able to achieve that and uh, some wonderful founding customers as well. So we're, we're, we're super excited about that. Yeah, no, like I said, I love this has been one of my favorite stories just because it's you know, the 10 year overnight success, you guys have had success along the way, but it's been the journey and it's not just with one product, it's evolved, you're continually evolving you know, with the, the, the AI and the different data components. It's just, you know, the future's super bright for you guys. So definitely we'll wanna check back in with you maybe sometime early next year, just to see how, how progress is going. And, you know, hopefully at some point we can talk post pandemic, but <laughs> we're, not, we're not quite there yet. 
But I do want to ask, I have one last question to ask that I ask all my guests, which is, you know, what is one thing that you would highly recommend? And it could be personal or professional, something that's, that's top of mind for you right now. It's hard to reduce that down to one thing, Rick, but, um, you know, there's a whole lot of different learnings that I think across the journey are things like, you know, you've got to find the right people. You've got to be able to separate yourself and your personal domain from your business so that the two don't end up, you know, crashing and burning into a single place that can, can you know, lead to exhaustion. But I think for me, the, the key thing, and as I've thought about this a lot is, you know, it is a story. It's a narrative that unfolds over time. And then when you look at the big companies that have gone through this journey before, it always gets condensed into this story where you feel like, you know, oh, so they went like that and it happened, but it's not like that. It's not like that at all. You know, you rock up for work every day, you have good days, you have bad days, problems come up. And really the thing that I think so far for us, and I don't want to, you know, preempt future success because you have to earn it, um, is that you know, your ability to sustain that journey over time and be able to you know keep calm when things happen and, and just navigate your way through because really it's a puzzle and being able to find the answer to that puzzle and find the way through is i think what you know goes from most companies they might start up or they might burn out they don't last the journey or from a startup to you know something that grows and those that do you sort of kind of sort of tell a story about it that maybe simplifies some of the ugly reality about getting there it's just about resilience it's just about you know, hacking it out. And it's about, you know, backing yourself and your team and your colleagues and just sticking with the ideas and but being able to sort of be flexible as well and, and listen to the market and follow it. So um, it's it's a long road and it's one that, that never really stops, I think. It's probably the main thing. It's you know, it's easy to get stars in your eyes and think about glory, but actually what, what happens every day and how you cope with each thing they put in front of you that I think sort of allows people to, you know, cope with the demands of the things that, that they go through in businesses like ours. Yeah, I think that's so true. And yeah, right. That one of the things I love to tell folks too is man, you have to you have to enjoy and love the journey. So you just yep. focused on that end result, you're gonna <laughs> yep. be disappointed no matter what the result is that you just had five, 10 years of, you know, you just you just went by. So yeah, I think that is so important. If you're not enjoying the journey, then you're probably not in the right, <laughs> in the right road. Could not agree more. The right, right. So no, I think that that's really good advice. So, so Gareth, thank you again for, for joining us and spending some time. I know you're super busy. If people do want to track you down or learn more about you, and we, I didn't even mention that you were a co-author of a book, which I will have detailed in the, uh, the show notes for you, but, um, man, that's a whole nother show we could talk about is, is that. So, What's the best place for, for folks to find you? Yeah, they can they can visit our site, which is um, www.theevolvedgroup.com. And that site lists out all of our products and services and um, has contact details. And obviously, we'd be more than happy to uh, talk to people who might need the sorts of things we do, which is, you know, become intimate with your customers and, and markets and be able to use that information to grow your own business. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to talk today, Brett, and, and, and sort of share some of the things we've done. Yeah, no, it's it's my pleasure, and you're welcome back anytime to share the the journey. But I do I do need to double back and ask about the book. Thinking about this journey over ten years, when did you find time to to do that? <laughs> was that a passion well, it was just, for you? It was definitely it was definitely my bucket list, and I was lucky enough to know to my you know Mike Haynes from from different collaborations in the past. He's just a a tremendous human being and a and a great collaborator. Uh, through the journey so you know we we treated it as a bit of a project and you know got together on weekends and reflected and put our collective learnings down and I, back to your point about you gotta love what you do I enjoyed that process tremendously so it was 
yeah, it's, both of us, I think, found it hard to find the time, but we had each other's back and we, we pushed each other to get there in the end. So I don't think I could have done it by myself with probably the simple answer. Yeah, no, I, I love Michael. He's been, I think he's my first three P customer, customer, uh, guest on the podcast. So he was on maybe six weeks ago. Yeah. Love the book, listen, innovate, grow. Um, but I think it's funny because he's one I think connected us back in back in the day. And I can't believe I didn't ask you about that book earlier, but they <laughs> just felt I'm like the, what you built, what you're building, where it came from. Yeah. But congrats on that as well. And I highly encourage people to check out the book. It's, it's a great read as well. So, all right, Gareth, like I said, we'll be back. We'll, we'll check back in with you. I'm setting up some reoccurring with some folks on their journeys and, you know, maybe in six months, eight months, we'll see you know, if you've got the global dominance yet or if you're still in, in process. <laughs> time will tell. Thank exactly. You exactly. But again, appreciate the time and sharing the insights today. Thank you. I right, have the rest. Cheers. Cheers.